0: Guys, um, the topic for today is will God do what he said? Will God do what he said? Will God do what he said? You know, given the distress that the world is under, given the condition of the church worldwide, given the revival that is here and is coming, given God's command to us as a church, given his delight over the people of this Nineveh or this Vancouver, it's time to pray like Elijah uh, on Friday night when the meetings were going on. And man, I loved what uh, ha- what these young guys did and what, uh, how the meetings went. And I was half thinking of early retirement. And uh, uh, given all these things that I've mentioned, the distress, the world is under, the condition of the church, the revival that is here and is coming, God's command to us, his delight over the city um, felt God saying on Friday that uh, it's time to uh, switch to active prayer and active prayer, not the prayer that you kn- you knew how to in the past, the way you have heard prayers and revivals, you the way you have uh, looked at prayer meetings in the past. No, he said, I'll teach you how to actively pray um, and to pray like Elijah, to pray like Elijah. And so Uh, The topic is, will God do what he said? And it's perhaps uh, one of a whole set of series about prayer. And so uh, when you look at Elijah, you find that the ravens brought him food. A widow provides bread for, for him from unending flour. He raises a widow's son from the dead. He wins a power encounter at Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven. He strikes down 450 false prophets. He outruns horses for 25 kilometers. He appears with Moses at the Mount of Transfiguration. He is called a type of John the Baptist. He is someone who was sent ahead to prepare the way, and he is so not like us. Given the resume I've just read out, there's nobody here that has even one tenth of that resume. He's so not like us and yet in James chapter five, verse 16 and 17, uh, James makes an extraordinary claim when he says Elijah was a man like us. Let me go through that list again. Ravens bring him food, a widow provides bread uh, from unending flour that he prays over and multiplies. He raises the widow's son from the dead. He wins the power encounter at Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven. He strikes down 450 false prophets. He outruns horses for 25 kilometers. He appears with Moses at the Mount of Transfiguration to talk to Jesus. He's a type of John the Baptist. Uh, he prepares the way. And <laughs> and yet, James has the audacity to say he was a man just like us. And so if Elijah is like us, if Elijah is like us, Then I want to be like him. I want to be like him. Yes, it's true that we should aim to be like Jesus, but let's kind of start with Elijah. So be it prayer for a dead boy or be the power encounter atop Mount Carmel, Elijah would do a few things when it came to prayer that perhaps we can begin to do too and see the results that he saw because he was a man just like us. He was a man just like me. He was a man just like me. That's nuts, eh? I got more advantage than him because of Jesus in my life, but he was a man just like me. So, be it prayer for a dead boy or be it the power encounter atop Carmel, some of the simple things he would do in prayer was one, he would see, he would pray, he would see, he would pray, he would proclaim, he would persevere. And we'll break these down differently from how you've heard it in the past. He would see what he needed to see as God was showing it. He would then begin to pray before the event. He would then proclaim what was going to happen. And then he would persevere to make sure that what he proclaimed, because of how he had prayed and seen, would actually form and happen. Elijah was a man just like me. In 1 Kings 17.1, 1 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah was a man just like me. First Kings 17.1 Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the, Lord of, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So that's a proclamation that there will be no rain. So where's the seeing and the praying? If you go to James chapter 5. You realize that the guy must have prayed before. Hebrews James chapter 5. Verse 16. No, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years, three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So this we see in 1 Kings 17.1. But then the secret is revealed in James 5.17 that he did pray. And God did show him what he needed to see. And when it comes to seeing... You see things in four different ways, guys. You see things in the word that the spirit is showing. You see things in the word. So that's one way you see, you see things in the word. All of us have that um, access access to the word. Um, You see things in the word and the Holy Spirit shows you what you need to see so that you can now begin to pray. Second way you see is you see things that the Spirit is doing. You see things that the Spirit is doing. Because the Spirit says, hey, look what I'm about to do. See things the Spirit is doing. And uh, one of the things I was noticing uh, when I was listening to the guys speak on Friday and Saturday was, most of them kept saying, and then God said to me, or I heard God. And it seems to be quite natural in this church to speak like that because it's becoming a reality for us. So the second point isn't uh, a stretch to see things that the spirit is doing. The third is to see things happening in other realms because of where you're seated, because of where you're seated. And this is when God shows you what the enemy is going to do or what is going to happen in the world. Uh, He either exposes or discloses, he either exposes what the enemy is going to do or he discloses what he is going to do. And there's a prophetic or at least a discerning element to it. So you see things in other realms because you're seated in heavenly places. And the last one is what perhaps we are going through right now. You see things in appointed, you see things in appointed seasons as in God says, hey, Now this is the time in Brandon's life where I'm going to do something. And so you, you know, there's an appointed season. And so you begin to see things um, more clearly, like you see blossoms because there is an appointed season for blossoms, which is spring. And so you expect it, you expect things to turn pink. You expect, um, you expect it because you know, this is the season for it. You expect pink petals to gather underneath blossom trees. So these are the four ways we see things. They are not very complicated, not uh, hard to access, not for a few special people, not a stretch. And uh, Elijah probably saw like this too. He knew that whenever, uh, that the Torah had said that when a people turn away from their God, that the, Uh, land will become like hard ground, famine will break out and the skies will turn to bronze. Elijah knew that from the Torah, leave alone God telling him that. Many of the things that we need to understand are already in the word. Then there is the voice of the spirit. Then there is, because you have learned how to watch with God, God shows you things that are happening either by exposing the uh, realms that are evil or disclosing things from heaven and the last one is but this is the season so you should expect it So seeing is not very complicated Elijah saw and then Elijah began to pray as we saw in James 5 17 and then he would make an announcement as we saw in 1st Kings 17 1. and then in 1st Kings 18 uh, you'll see how he begins to persevere the only thing that seeing requires is time time and by time sometimes I mean time In terms of duration, sometimes I mean time in terms of intensity, Uh, not intensity, intent, intent. You don't have to be intense. You just have to have intent. Karen said, could we have more volume? You saw that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Either seeing requires time as in sometimes it's duration you may have to spend some time to read you may have to spend some time to listen you may have to spend some time to figure things out um, and the second one is intent sometimes it's not even amount of time it's the intent God I got a passionate deliberate serious intent to figure this out not even for my sake but for the sake of what you've called me to or for the sake of someone else who's in need When we go about things like this guys we can reach the um, end of our lives or different points in our life and we can say like solomon said in first kings uh, um, 8 56 not one word has failed of all his good promises which he spoke by moses what a statement solomon's making eh not one word has failed from all the promises that god has made not one word has failed I want to say stuff like that at the end of my life or at the end of different chapters. So let's look at the see, pray, proclaim, persevere pattern. And it's important for us because we're dealing with huge things across the earth. And as a church, we are called to um, do something about it. So prayer must precede proclamation prayer must precede so we've already we've already established what seeing looks like so now we're going on to prayer prayer must precede proclamation prayer must precede proclamation prayer must precede proclamation guys the only way to get things right is to abandon uh, any any self-interest in the process. John 5 verse 30, Jesus says, the reason my judgments are just, the reason my judgments are trustworthy, the reason uh, what I say is trustworthy, is fair, is just, is because I am not out to get my own way. I'm here to just do what my Father tells me. I'm not here to get my own way. I've got no desire to see my desires fulfilled. That's the hard part, because eh? when we pray, we sometimes have our own theological slants, our own reactive slants, our own cultural sta- slants, and they begin to affect our judgments. They begin to affect the answers we want or the answers we are craving. But what if every day you went and told the Lord, Father, today in the decisions I make, in the judgments I make, in the... Um, uh, Uh, I just want to let you know that I really don't want my desire to be the trump card. I don't want uh, things that come from my self-interest to be uh, the kingpin. I just want my judgments and my decisions to be just, to be fair, to be trustworthy because I have no other desire but to do what you're ordering me to do. Your will is my command, so can you help me with my decisions so that they are just? John 5.30, let me read it, John 5.30, John 5.30. It's the secret to getting your decisions right, John 5.30. I myself can do nothing, I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Prayer must precede proclamation As in begin to see, and then once you see, begin to pray that, oh God, this is what I'm seeing. Let me start praying. Guys, the thing is, what you see is fleshed out in prayer. What you see is fleshed out in prayer. You see something, and then as you pray, the Holy Spirit begins to the pieces together. He connects the dots. He adds sinew here. He adds muscle there. Things begin to take form as you pray. The problem with declarations, and I think declarations are wonderful things and I so am into making declarations, but the problem with declarations is there is just the need to speak what God has said. And there is no need to, um, there's no need to work with it. It is just, I declare and, and that's great declarations are important but after you declare there's no there's no, <laughs> there's no tilling the soil, there's no watering the plant, there is no clearing the weeds that is, the, that is what happens in prayer where what God wants to birth is now fleshed out in prayer you've seen the seed, you've planted the seed, you've declared upon the seed that you shall grow but now comes the whole process of weeding, watering, uh, fencing If you don't do that, the fruit you get will be less than what it could be. So with regard to this revival, with regard to COVID, I want us to pray today. You see that in the stories with the Hebrides revival and I've deliberately titled it, Will God do what he said? I'll share against my good judgment, Uh, an anecdotal story with regard to the revival of how I had to wrestle with God because I was struggling with will God do this it's we're talking about a global revival I'll talk about that the reason I say against my good judgment is because I know this is being recorded and can be seen by people other than the ones who know me at Acts 29 so prayer must precede proclamation the next one is prayer is propelled prayer is propelled Prayer is propelled from a place of disadvantage. Prayer is propelled from a place of disadvantage. As in, disadvantage is the sling that really shoots prayer out at a velocity that is nuts. Prayer is propelled from a place of disadvantage because your God loves to be at a disadvantage before he wins. Your God loves to be at a disadvantage just before he wins. Your God loves to be at a disadvantage just before he wins. On Carmel with Elijah, the odds were 450 to 1. One prophet of God, 450 prophets of Baal. So the odds were 450 to 1. Those guys had dry wood, but just so it was a fair fight, God said, make sure you soak the wood. Those guys had a dry bull, Elijah had to soak the bull that was going to be consumed. So dry wood versus soaked wood, dry bull versus soaked bull. And then just so it gets a little tougher, uh, the, the other guys had a trench that was dug around the sacrifice. Elijah had to put water in the trench. So your God loves being at a disadvantage before he wins. You see the same with others, Joseph in prison before he becomes a prime minister of Egypt, Gideon with 300 before he routs Midian, Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus on the cross, 60 people at Acts 29 in a city of 2.6 million. At the end of the day, Prayer is propelled from a place of disadvantage. It's a helpless people that really need to be shot out from the sling of disadvantage through prayer. And your God loves to be at a disadvantage before he wins. It's like the Hulk Hogan thing, which none of you will understand. But that's the second point, eh? Pray from a place of disadvantage. It's a great place to pray from. We'll try and put this into practice. The third one is uh, perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in prayer. Must proceed. Must proceed after proclamation. Make sure that after you've made your proclamation or your declaration, that you begin to persevere in prayer. That's something that we're not very good at. We, we, we know how to hear God, we know how to speak what he's saying, but we don't necessarily uh, know how to or have uh, applied ourselves to persevering in prayer after the declaration or the proclamation is made. We don't necessarily uh, know how to do that thing is God will make rain from the little cloud that you form in prayer. God will make rain from the little cloud that you form in prayer. God will make rain from the little cloud that you form in prayer. That's what he does. Elijah begins to persevere after making the proclamation. And as he begins to persevere, God makes rain out of a small cloud that is the size of a fist rising up out of the sea and so understand the invitation of God in the parable of the um, persistent widow you know the thing about the widow is she knows that the only one who can give her justice the only one who has the authority to the only one who has the power to the only one who is appointed to the only one who has the right to give her justice is the judge so it doesn't matter she can be persistent as much as she needs to, because she knows that here lies everything that I want. I mean, it's the same with you guys. When you don't get a service that you have paid for, and you know that this is the office that I need to go to, or this is the person I need to approach, what do you do? Keep calling. Keep sending emails. Keep trying to meet. Why? Because you know that this person has the authority, has the office, has been appointed to, has the power, has the resources to grant you your request. So what do you do? You keep at it. Why do you keep at it? Because you know this is the person who can give it to you. It's the same principle with the persistent widow. Why do we now persist with God? He's not an unjust judge. He's using an unjust judge as a way to say, if an unjust judge who has the authority, the position, the appointment, the resources and the ability to have his heart melted by the continuous persistence of a woman who knows that this is the place that I can get justice from, then how much more? When you realize that I have the power, the authority, the appointment, the resources, the goodness and the justice to give it to you, why would you not keep coming back to get what you need to? Sometimes for your sake and mostly for the sake of others. Keep at it. I'm inviting you, I'm using this parable to invite you to begin to form a cloud that I can then use to send rain. Why? Not because I can't do it without your help, because I do a hundred things without your help every day without your prayer. But so that you can engage with me as I go about doing it, let you and I work from a place of disadvantage. Do not look at your disadvantage as anything that holds you back. Look at your disadvantage as something that allows me to win. So when you look at a global revival, which seems impossible, great, you're in perfect place. Did you see it? Did you hear it right? Oh, you did. Did you pray into it? Oh, you did. And then you made an announcement? Great. Now pack that chapter up, put it in the past and begin to move toward the future. And the future requires that what you proclaim, now you have to persevere in prayer so that your disadvantage becomes a sling that shoots you out only like God can. What we did over the last two days, Friday and Saturday, is to try and make an announcement or a declaration. Now begins the real work, guys. That's why on Friday, so clearly I'm hearing God saying, all right, time to form that cloud. You've done the announcement, time to form that cloud. Doesn't matter how many times you have to go up Mount Sinai, uh, go up Mount Carmel to check whether there's anything rising out of the sea. Time to form that cloud. You form that cloud and I'll have you hear the sound of rain. But you form that cloud by going on your knees. You know, the sun doesn't get weary of shining. A fountain doesn't get weary of flowing. God doesn't get weary of doing these things. We think, ah, if I persist, God will get tired. No, you are getting tired, so you're thinking that. One of the things I hear the most is people will say, We didn't want to bother you. We we didn't want to ask you because we thought you've got so much to do, you'll be bothered. Hey, if your intent is genuine, I have time. And if that is corrupt me, think of God. What are we talking about in terms of praying? We are talking about praying for the decline of nations for the fall of kingdoms, for the raising up of kings over a period of time. We are not talking about things like uh, um, uh, name it and claim it uh, uh, kind of stuff that enriches us. We are not talking about that. This church and churches connected to us are meant to affect the rise and fall of kingdoms and kings, nations, and the advancement of the kingdom. I'm not kidding you. This is not rara. This is factual. It's been like this for the last 16 years. We didn't do anything to get here. It was, it's just a God-given desire and a God-given right. Not even a right. A God-given appointment. We, 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 we've got nothing to do with it. We didn't do anything to qualify for it. But when I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about praying for the decline of nations, for the fall of kingdoms, for the raising up of kings, for like it says in Jeremiah, I have appointed you to root out, to pull down, to build and to plant. I remember 14 years ago when we predicted in a corporate prayer meeting, when there were hardly five or six people that a time is coming where seven years from now, a man will rise who is both political and religious and will govern India. And just like the fat cows and the lean cows, the church was given time to prepare, to strengthen herself for there would be a time of leanness. And that after seven years, things would change again. And this is the seventh year. But it is one thing to make a declaration. It's another thing to persevere so that the declaration you have made now begins to take the form of a cloud that will result in the sound of rain. So on one hand, there are these things that, that happen over a long duration. On the other hand, we are also talking about everyday miracles, everyday miracles. First Kings seventeen fifteen talks about this woman who makes him uh, a, 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 a cookie using the only flour and oil she has. And then it says in 17 verse 15, that for the rest of the famine, She had enough flour. Every time, I mean, imagine this, say, you go to the bin and you open it because you uh, uh, are looking to make some more food and there's flour there. You scoop it out and you use it. The second day you go, you're scared because you don't have what it takes to trust what this man said. But you go and you find it again. By the eighth or ninth day, you're laughing because you know what to expect. By the 20th day, you're not even concerned because you know there's flour. By the 25th day, you're distributing it to people who are also suffering from the famine. And at this point, I want to say, Elijah was a man just like me. Who had a God just like mine. But he did not have a God who lived in him. Elijah was a man just like me. If Elijah was a man just like me, I want to be like him. He was able to do things sheerly by the power of the Spirit. So we're not talking about things that are just long duration. We're also talking about everyday miracles. Immediate fulfillment of God's words. Immediate fulfillment. 2 Kings 19 verse uh, 32 to 37 an Assyrian king has laid siege to Jerusalem and a word comes from God this is what I said enormous odds nations involved a word comes from God saying I know they've laid siege but I want you to know that not a single shot will be fired as he has come he will go the next day the Assyrian king goes back to his city and he's killed there and Jerusalem is free immediate fulfillment and Elijah was just like me he was a man who had the same nature as me if Elijah was just like me I want to be able to walk like him I can do that because now I have the same spirit not living upon me not visiting me occasionally but living in me I will follow these paths path then, right? See, pray, declare, and then persevere. There seemed to be a pattern in Elijah's life. Second Kings 6, 33 and 7, 1, you see another story. This is a fabulous story where people are eating dung and dove's heads. They're beginning to consume their own children because there's a famine in the land. And then along comes Elisha and he makes a simple declaration. This is after years of famine and a siege. Enemy armies around, famine in the land, eating dung, eating doves heads, beginning to consume their children. And in the midst of that, Elisha comes and he makes a statement That needs such boldness and courage. And here's the statement he makes. At this time tomorrow, at this time tomorrow, you will be eating loads of grain. You will be feasting that the famine will end. You can imagine what the people are thinking. Really? You can stand here and say that in a day, this time tomorrow, that's exactly what happens. One man who does not believe, Elisha says to him, you will see it, but you will not eat it. There's a price to unbelief. I like what May said. She said she found it hard to grasp and understand this whole idea of the revival. So what did she do? She decided to go and listen to it all over again. And as she did, she began to have God speak to her directly. It takes time, guys. There's an effort involved. One of the things that's bothering me like crazy is uh, the COVID rates in India. I've been talking to people in India. My mom's in India right now. I've been talking to her. I've been talking to Chad. As I talk to them, man, what you read on the news is perhaps 50% less than what is actually happening. The number of deaths. The number of deaths just at New Life Assemblies of God where Chad pastors. And here's my problem, because COVID's been going on for a while, but here's my problem. It's a nation that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's almost like a sickle is being used to, 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 to end people's lives. Cremations have long lineups now. Pires are being lit as people are being burnt after death all going to an eternity that is dark and without God. And you think this is God? Thousands and thousands and thousands who probably went and participated in that pilgrimage that is supposed to wash away their sins. Thousands and thousands dying. Numbers that we do not know of, gasping for breath, run out of, out of oxygen. and you think it is God? He is a God who loves, He's a God who has tremendous mercy. He is a God who has tremendous power. It is strange how this disease has struck certain nations that are predominantly non-Christian and oppose Christianity. be it Iran, be it uh, India, be it. Places where there are forms of Christianity that do not talk about being born again, like Italy, like Brazil. Thousands perishing, man. It's like a sickle from hell. A sickle from heaven harvests souls. A sickle from hell just brings death. It's not enough to make declarations saying, oh, in the name of Jesus Christ, let India live. Now, after I say India live, I have to go up Mount Carmel. Going up is always painful. It requires ascending and then persevere saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, will you not do what you have said? I'm just talking about COVID on one hand and then there's a revival on the other hand. Church, we've been trained long enough for this. Remember that series called Prevailing Church? I was looking through it and we've We've talked about this before. I'll be called to task if I do not persevere and try to form a cloud that rises up out of the ocean. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. God is a God of power before he is a God of the prophetic. One of the things that can happen to a church like ours is that we can get so hung up with prophetic and with declarations that we forget that at the end of the day, if prophecy were to cease tomorrow and declarations were no longer valid, we have to learn that we have a God who is merciful, a God who is super gracious, a God who is good and a God who has power. And that is what makes things work, even if we had no prophets and nothing prophetic happening in this church from this moment on. I was reminded of that a couple of days ago when God said, listen, I'm glad that you prophesy. I'm glad that you make declarations. But don't forget that I'm a God who is super merciful, super gracious, super loving and super powerful. And that is why I do things. So if you stop prophesying, I would still be on task. So don't think it's your prophetic or your declarations that do this. Learn how to approach me in prayer, knowing that I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm loving and I'm powerful. And then don't worry about whether you have asked or whether you declared or whether you prophesied. You've already learned that well. Now learn the other things well too. The problem with any church or any strong Christian is that we become stronger in the area that we're already strong in. The cool thing about the Gadites was that they could, no, uh, uh, the cool thing about the Benjaminites was they could sling and use a sword with both left hand and right hand. They had strengthened both left and right hands. I think Second Chronicles, I don't know. Second Chronicles, I don't know. Second Chronicles twelve, maybe? Yeah, second Chronicles twelve. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right handed or left handed. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. That's what we must learn, eh? Aggression Prophetic edge Then, on the other hand, mercy, grace, love, both. God turns hearts to himself with mercy. God turns hearts to himself with mercy. God keeps hearts to himself with grace. God turns hearts to himself with mercy. God keeps hearts to himself with grace. It's not your skill. It's not your skill. God turns hearts to himself with mercy. God keeps hearts to himself with grace. It's not your skill. It's not your words. Cry out as an Elijah people for things, eh? Elijah knew this in First 1 Kings 1837, First 1 Kings 1837, look at what he says: First 1 Kings 1837. He says, "Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are a God, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again turning their hearts back again Elijah though he was one of the most amazing prophets that ever existed knows that it is God who turns hearts. This is why I really liked May's letter yesterday it is such a cool letter where's my phone let me just get my phone it's such a cool letter I was going over it uh, earlier today and uh, It says, um, these points were something else, God saying this. Uh, I haven't forgotten you, Vancouver. Far from it. You're on my mind full time. God of mercy, God of grace, God of power. I see the hurt and the loneliness beneath the surface. I know the yearning and the longing that constantly tugs at you. I'm not hurt by your forgetfulness and distractedness. I know you're you're hurting even though you mask it well. I adore you, Vancouver. I was caught off guard by that word. I adore your creativity in making the city and the world better. I adore your heart to care for others. I adore the uniqueness each of you brings to the city. I know because I adore you, and because I adore you, I want you to experience more than you presently experience. You have no idea what's in my storehouse for you. Charles Spurgeon wrote this eh? I'll read it twice and I'll read it slow just remind me to pray for Kamal I just got a text from Anne and it says uh, please pray for Kamal he can't walk because of very bad pain on his knees and uh, he's on crutches and his jaw is paining too so just remind me to pray for him before we finish Guys, uh, this is by Charles Spurgeon. I loved what he wrote. He says, our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes. Never let the promise that he has given you rust. Draw the word of promise out of its sheath and use it with holy violence. Think not that God will be troubled by your persistent reminding him of his promises. It is his delight to bestow favours. Therefore, go at once to the throne with, Do as you have said, O God. One more time. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own promissory notes. Never let the promise of God to you rust. Draw the word of promise out of its sheath and use it with holy violence. Think not that God will be troubled by your persistent reminding him of his promises. It is his delight to bestow favors. Therefore, go at once to his throne with, Do as you have said, O God. And it reminds me of all those uh, uh, situations in uh, Hebrides. I remember reading these two stories out. In 1949, the spirit of grace and supplication fell upon the congregation in the village of Arnall on the Isle of Lewis in the Scottish Hebrides. They had had been praying for revival from Psalm 85, verse six to seven. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. One night, they crowded into the home of the blacksmith. The spiritual atmosphere was very dry. A sense of deadness prevailed as one after another tried to break through in prayer. Duncan Campbell, the visiting evangelist, called on Mr. Smith, the blacksmith, to pray. The prayer was short and sharp. "O oh God, you made a promise to pour water upon him. That you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And Lord, it's not happening." He paused and then continued in a rising voice. Lord, I do not know how Mr. Campbell or these other men stand with you. But if I know my own heart, I know that I am thirsty. For some strange reason, church, God is asking us to approach him with a challenge. He's not asking us to approach him as, oh God, I know you are faithful. For some strange reason, both with regard to the uh, sickle of COVID that is cutting young and old lives in India short. And with regard to this global revival, two things that I want us to focus on. He's saying, come to me saying, do it again. Will you not do what you have said? He's saying, test me. Come challenge me. Provoke me. Not out of a place of you are not faithful, but from a place of since you are faithful. Please hear me. We're being invited by the Spirit of God to do this. God is saying I sit like this and I listen to your prayer church and not necessarily talking to Acts 29, but church in general I listen to your prayer church and my arms don't feel like unfolding pray a little harder and see what I can do as I roll up my sleeves. what a prayer to pray man this guy called smith who happens to be a blacksmith not a very imaginative name but my god his prayer is look at what he says and guys if you and i are not where this guy is at then ask god oh god i am not where this guy is at and i said that to god oh god i can't pray like this i'm not here yet change my heart before i can launch into these kind of prayers Duncan Campbell the visiting evangelist called on Mr. Smith the blacksmith to pray. The prayer was short and sharp Oh God you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground and Lord it's not happening. He paused and then continued in a rising voice. Lord I do not know how Jacob or these other leaders stand with you, but I know my own heart and I know that I am thirsty. Come on man, cry like this. You have promised to pour water on him who is thirsty. If you don't do it, how can I ever believe you again? Your honour is at stake, you're a covenant keeping God. Fulfill your covenant engagement. At that instant the granite house shook like a leaf and a power was unleashed that swept the entire parish. Form a cloud that can bring the sound of rain church. Here's another excerpt. Just as I was walking down the aisle along with this young deacon who read the psalm in the barn again from the Hebrides he suddenly stood in the aisle and looking up to heaven he said God you can't fail us God you can't fail us you promised to pour they go back to the promise man every one of them goes back to the promise see see what's in the word see what the Holy Spirit is showing see the appointed season and see from a vantage point of Sitting in the heavenlies and seeing what other realms are doing. He suddenly stood in the aisle and looking up to heaven. He said, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on thirsty, on the thirsty and floods upon dry ground. You can't fail us. Soon he is on his knees in the aisle and he is still praying. And then he falls into a trance again. Just then the door opens. It is now 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes back into the church saying, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. We were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it, he's done it. When I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of approximately 600 people. 600 people, where did they come from? What had happened? I believe that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of Barvas. God is inviting us saying, can you challenge me? Can you provoke me? Can you have me unfold my arms and roll up my sleeves on your behalf? Cause I am seeing how you just keep coming up this mountain. Keep fleshing out the announcement I asked you to make. Keep reminding me of my promises. Keep saying that your honor, O oh God is at stake. Sometimes it's just repeating one simple line, let God arise, let the enemies be scattered. Remember the words that was given to us for the revival, for I will pour water on thirsty lands, from the Hebrides revival. For I will pour water on the thirsty lands and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. I will bring your children from the east and I will gather them from the west. I will send orders north and south. I will say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not hold them back. You will raise up young men and young women. Bishops, strong apostolic ministries, strong teachers going out from your company. They will reproduce this anointing. And this next line has already come to pass over Friday and Saturday. Your young people, as in Acts 29, your young people will freely join you at the break of dawn with all the vigor of youth, resplendent in holy armor on the day of your conquest. And I believe that has already come to pass. So how about the rest? Remind God of his promises saying you cannot fail us oh God you cannot fail us. I don't know about Jacob, I don't know about this person, I don't know about that person but if I know my heart I know that I am thirsty. Oh God you made a promise to pour water, you made a promise to bring in the young, well then your honour is at stake. If you don't do it how can people believe you? What I'm going to read to you next is what I said I wasn't sure I should do. So this happened shortly after the Shekinah seven meetings, the no, seven day meetings we had. And so it was around January 22nd or thereabouts. And I was still struggling with this idea of a global revival. Because <laughs> in my mind it was, if we can revive Acts 29, that should be quite an accomplishment. Global revival? There were too many signs that had me go down that route, Shekinah 1 to 7, but I was still struggling with it. So I'll read it out. Shortly after the Shekinah 7 meetings, I was struggling. On the 22nd morning, I said to God, if what you have said about me is true, then show me. Otherwise I can't go forward into what you have said. If I am to announce the start of a global revival, Show me your plans. Give me certainty. Let my words not fall to the ground. Answer my prayers, renew my faith. Give me plans and keys and understanding and phrases for this revival. Give me access, let me know your presence. Because if you aren't going to do that, I can't step into or do what you're asking even though I will attempt to. I can't do this anymore if you don't go with me. And he answered, he answered by asking me to go look at a billboard on Heather and Southwest Marine And so I did, and the billboard has a simple word on it, global. And then he took me to Isaiah 49, six from the message. And here's what it says. He says, but that's not a big enough job for my servant just to recover the tribes of Jacob, merely to round up the strays of Israel. I'm setting you up as a light for the nations so that my salvation becomes global. I went to my room, I turned off the light and thought about it in bed for a while, going over the whole thing. And I asked God if he would do a Genesis 15 flaming torch like thing that passed between the sacrifice when Abraham laid it before him. I asked him if he would do that. At some point I knew God was in the room. I got off the bed and knelt with my head in my hands to the ground. At some point, I realized I couldn't move. My whole body was without strength. I tried how I tried, three times, five times, but not a muscle would move. Though my thought willed any part of my body to move, I realized I was completely at his mercy. And I heard what I had heard in 1995 from Demo Shakarian's book, Will You Ever Doubt My Power and My Promise Again? And then suddenly I could move. I pulled out the excerpt from Demos Shakerian's book. He had been told that he would one day start an organization for businessmen, the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship, that would span the globe. And today there isn't a nation that hasn't been touched by the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship. After that, I was deeply desiring prayer. I called up Derek and prayed with Derek for long. I told God I had found him faithful. i had found him merciful. i had found him kind i found him accommodating, and found him gracious. I said he had kept his side of the bargain. Now he could have my money, my time, my strength, my will and do as he pleases and I would obey. I cannot hold back. I have no reason to hold back from him. You must have all of me all the time, sovereign God. And I think it's necessary for me to read this so that I burned this bridge and I cannot go back again. My prayer is that we'll take these things that we've spoken about and pray for two things with the kind of perseverance that forms a cloud that will bring the sound of rain. Both for a breaking of the sickle of COVID that is devouring lives into an eternal, dark place forever in India. And then for this revival that is global, that will bring in a harvest of souls, eh? Harvest of souls. One is a sickle that brings death. Another is a sickle that harvests souls into heaven. Do both, church. I'm charging you with this. I'm charging you with this because God is charging us with it. God is charging me with it. What's the difference between active and passive prayer? The difference between active and passive prayer, passive prayer is how I've learned to pray thus far. Active prayer is constantly engaging with God to see, okay, you've taught me enough and I stand on that and, uh, but teach me more. I don't, want, I don't want to pray like I prayed yesterday. Teach me how to pray today. It's, it's always dynamic, it is never, only what I learned yesterday, it is, what are you showing me today? What are you teaching me today? How do you want me to go about this today? Like simple thing, active prayer for us as a church would be the ability to learn how to persevere so that the cloud that is formed by our perseverance turns into the sound of rain. Active prayer would be to learn that habit because we've learned seeing well, we've learned praying with what we see, kind of. We've learned how to make proclamations and declarations. And now we've got to learn how to persevere. Active prayer is doing exactly what I read out just now. Our God, you're asking us to come and challenge you. You're inviting us. Well, you are faithful. We're going to say, we're not going to come and say, oh, you're not being faithful. we are going to say, since you're faithful, but we'll come and challenge you. You're inviting us into that. That's what active prayer looks like. Can I have a pick? Can I have a pick? And uh, after the song, we'll uh, pray for Kamal.
1: Our father who are in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom, kingdom has come, your will be done. Father Who art in heaven Hallowed be Your name And your kingdom Your kingdom has come Your will be done all oh. I Jesus Christ we represent in our life for all to see for the glory of the Lord that dwells in me our Father your kingdom your kingdom has come your will be done honor and your kingdom and your kingdom your kingdom has come your will be
0: We pray your will to be done upon Kamal's knee and jaw. And so the question then is, what is your will in heaven for Kamal's knee and Kamal's jaw? We know that it is the will of God in heaven by looking at what Jesus accomplished on earth. Jesus was striped for our healing for Kamal's knee for his jaw. Jesus' back was bruised and battered open. That is the will of heaven for Kamal's knee and for his jaw. Therefore, we say let your will O God be done here on earth upon Kamal's knee and Kamal's jaw and let it be made evident by the freedom from pain. We also remember Matthew eight fourteen to 16 where it says you carried our grief, our sorrow, our disfigurement, our infirmity, our weakness, our disease, our pain, our affliction, our sickness. You took it, then you carried it so that we may no longer bear it. So in the name of Jesus Christ, because Jesus took it, I say to the knee and the jaw, be free from pain, Jesus has taken it. So that Kamal may walk free of it. So, we as a church now say, be free of this pain and this sickness and disease. And we say to whatever needs to be restored, that is broken, damaged, bruised, sick, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, this church this week will find time to learn and practice persevering after proclamation. Persevering after proclamation. A declaration allows us to say and announce your intent. Perseverance allows us to form a cloud that carries the sound of rain. So I pray that with regard to India, with regard to the revival, with regard to the people that we prayed for who would require healing, that this church will this week practice the principle of perseverance, the pattern of perseverance. Teachers, of God, this is the next stage. Don't want to shy away from it. We shut the chapter on the announcement. We begin the chapter on the perseverance now. Knowing, oh God, that you are a God who just loves working from a place of disadvantage (laughs) because you just turn things around dramatically. So we bless you now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Uh, Can we also keep Lance and Rob in prayers? So, Father, you know the need that Lance has and Rob have. I pray favor. I pray favor. I pray justice. I pray, not justice. I pray, Father, that you who are a just God will grant to Lance and to Rob favor and justice. I pray that. Uh, your vindication be upon them that no courtroom lie uh, no weapon forged against them prosper pray your mercy, your kindness upon Robin Lance, in Jesus name Amen Alrighty guys see you when I see you